Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. And so I want us to get into the Word tonight. I have a few minutes to do so. I'm so grateful uh, to be able to minister the Word. And over the last uh, several, several weeks, I believe it's been about seven or eight weeks so far, uh, maybe even nine, we've been talking about the parables and we've been looking uh, at the parables of Jesus. And, and I pray that, you know, as every time that we get into the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Amen. You know, how many of you know that the, that the Word is alive and it's active? Amen. That means that you can read the same parable a hundred times and the Holy Spirit's going to continue speaking to you. Amen. It doesn't mean that it's just like one and done. You know, it's like I read the whole book and there's nothing left for me to learn. No, 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 my friend. Every time we open the word of God, the Lord is sure to speak to our hearts. Amen. So I want to get into this, uh, to the word tonight, to the lesson tonight. And I'll start off with an illustration. There's a pastor and, and not this pastor, but a pastor. He tells this story. He says, some years ago, when I was a pastor, he said, I walked into my church office after a Sunday morning service to find a sandwich bag on my desk containing three chocolate brownies. How many of you like brownies? Raise your hand if you like brownies. Praise God. My wife makes the best brownies. So he says, some thoughtful and anonymous saint who knew my love for chocolate had placed them there along with a piece of paper that had a short story written on it. He said, so I immediately sat down and I began eating the first brownie as I read the following story. So the pastor's sitting at his desk and he starts to eat his brownies and he reads this story. Two teenagers asked their father if they could go to the theater to watch a movie that all of their friends had seen. And after reading some of the reviews about the movie on the internet, the the father denied their request. Oh, Dad, why not, they complained. It's PG-13, and we're both older than 13 years old. And the dad replied, because that movie contains nudity and it portrays immorality, which is something that God hates as being normal and acceptable behavior. The children responded, but Dad, those are just a few small parts of the movie. That's what our friends who've seen it have told us. The movie's two hours long, and those scenes are just a few minutes of of the total film. It's based on a true story, and it's about good triumphing over evil. And there's other redeeming themes like courage and self-sacrifice. Even the Christian movie reviews websites also say that. And the father answered, he said, my answer is no. He said, you are welcome to stay home tonight, invite some of your friends over, and watch one of the good movies that we have in our collection. He said, but you will not go and watch that film. It's the end of the discussion. So the two teenagers, they walked sadly into the family room, and then they slumped down on the couch. And after they sulked, they were surprised to hear the sounds of their father preparing something in the kitchen. They soon recognized the wonderful aroma of brownies that were baking in the oven. And one of the teenagers said to the other, Dad must be feeling guilty So now he's going to try to make it up to us with some fresh brownies. Maybe we can soften him up with a lot of praise. And when he brings them out to us, we'll persuade him to let us go to the movie after all. So the pastor, as he's reading this story, he begins eating the second brownie from the sandwich bag. And he wondered if there was some connection to the brownies that he was actually eating. 
So it says, it says um, he keeps reading the story. The teens were not disappointed. Soon their father appeared with a plate of warm brownies, and he offered them to his kids, and they each took one. And then their father said, before you eat, though, I want to tell you something. I love you both so much. And the teenagers, they smiled at each other with knowing glances that their dad was softening up. He said, that's why I've made these brownies with the very best ingredients. I've made them from scratch. He said, most of the ingredients are even organic. He says, the best organic flour, the best free-range eggs, the best organic sugar. He says, there's premium vanilla and chocolate. The brownies looked mouth-watering, and the teens began to become a little impatient with their dad's long speech. He said, but I want to be perfectly honest with you. There's one ingredient that's not usually found in the brownies. He said, and I got that ingredient from our own backyard. But you need not worry because I only added the tiniest bit of that ingredient to your brownies. The amount of the portion is practically insignificant. So go ahead, take a bite and let me know what you think. So the dad, you know, they said, dad, would you mind telling us what this mystery ingredient is before we eat? Why? He said, the portion is so small. It's just like a teaspoonful. You won't even taste it. Oh, come on, dad. Just tell us what the secret ingredient is. Don't worry. The dad replied, it's organic, just like the other ingredients. They said, well, okay, if you insist. The dad replied, he said, the secret ingredient is organic dog poop. The pastor now says, he, I, I immediately stopped chewing the second brownie. And I spit it out into the trash can next to my desk. He said, I continued reading, now fearful of the paragraphs that still remained. Both teens instantly dropped their brownies back on the plate, and they began inspecting their fingers with horror. They said, Dad, why did you do that? You tortured us, making us smell those brownies, you know, cooking in the oven for the last half an hour. And now you tell us that you added dog poop? We can't eat those brownies. Why not? The amount of poop is very small compared to the rest of the ingredients. It will not hurt you. It's been cooked right along with the other ingredients. You won't even taste it. It even has the same consistency as the brownies. Go ahead and eat. No, Dad. No, Dad, never. He said, and that's the same reason I won't allow you to go watch that movie. You won't tolerate a little dog poop in your brownies, so why would you tolerate a little sin in your movies? He said, we pray that God will not lead us into temptation, so how can we in good conscience entertain ourselves with something that will imprint a sinful image in our minds that will lead us into temptation long after we see it? The pastor discarded of what remained of the second brownie as well as the entire untouched third brownie. And what had been irresistible a minute ago had become detestable. And only because of the very slim chance that what I was eating, what he was eating, was slightly polluted. He said, surely it wasn't, but I couldn't convince myself. And he goes on to say this, what a great lesson about purity what a great lesson about purity. Why do we tolerate any sin? On the day of the Passover, the Israelites, they were commanded to remove every bit of leaven in their homes. 
They were commanded to remove it from their homes. And sin in Scripture, if you've read your Bibles, you will understand that sin, more times than not, is actually about leaven. And they use it to liken leaven to sin. And, 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 and so a little bit of leaven, it, it, it leavens the whole lump. That means it makes it rise. Just a little bit of sin will cause a great magnitude of sin in your life if you tolerate it. But how many of you know that Jesus is our Passover, amen? Jesus is our, our resurrected one. And guess what? Jesus and sin do not mix. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, let's get into the lesson. In verse 6, he was speaking to the Corinthian church and he said, your boasting is not good. He said, don't you know that a little yeast or, a, or leaven, it's the same word, works through the whole batch of dough? He said, get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. He says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Amen. We serve a holy God. We serve a holy God. We serve a God that is, that is intolerant of sin. And this is why he had to give us a plan of mercy that his son would die in our place as a sin offering so that we could be dead to sin and live for him. So that we could be resurrected as a new born again believer and Christian and no longer live according to the ways of our flesh and according to the ways of our sin and according to the ways of our past. But we live a new life and we walk in holiness because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 33 is the parable that we're going to be looking at tonight. It says, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through all of the dough. Let's pray for the word tonight. Lord Jesus, we're just honored to be in your presence, to be in your house tonight. And Lord, it's, it's, it's my honor, Father, to bring the word. And so, Father, I pray that... Your Holy Spirit would just rest upon me, Lord, that every word that comes out of my mouth would be led by you, Jesus. It would not be my own thoughts, Lord. And Father, I pray that your word would just, because it's alive and active, Lord, it would speak actively to our hearts tonight. Father, let us be challenged, Lord. Let us be, Father God, encouraged, Lord. And let your word, Father God, do the work tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. So yeast is a substance. If you did not know this, yeast is a substance that causes the dough to ferment and to rise. Amen? How many of you like bread? Raise your hand if you like bread. Amen? I was thinking about baking you some bread tonight, but I'm not really a good baker. So that would have been like a failed plan. But one of my favorite breads to eat is from Longhorn. Has anybody ever been to Longhorn Steakhouse? Man, that's some good bread. Okay? That's some good bread. And God knows I don't need that much bread, but every time I go to Longhorn Steakhouse, I love the bread. Another place that has really, really good bread, if, you, if you're a bread lover, is Texas Roadhouse. Woo-wee! The Holy Spirit is in that little roll, I promise you. It's so delicious. It's like you taste of the goodness of God when you get that little cinnamon butter that they serve. If, some of you all are looking at me like you've never been there, so go, okay? And you'll taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. So yeast is this little tiny ingredient that they add to bread to make it fluff. 
If you've ever had to, you know, make bread or something like that, you know, you roll out the dough and you have to like knead the dough, which means you like weave it and weave it and weave it. And you go through this entire process to get the air out of the dough. And then when you add that yeast, it goes from like a little lump like this to. And all of a sudden you've got this thing that grew, it enlarged, it, 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 you know, it swelled up. And so yeast or leaven has always normally had a negative kind of connotation in the Bible because it's always been related to sin prior to Jesus sharing this parable. It symbolized sin and impurity. And so some say that the leaven represents evil that penetrates the kingdom of God and the church. This was, this was what it was known to do. It was, you know, it was being used in that manner in other portions of Scripture. But the yeast, as spoke of in 1 Corinthians 5 that we read just a minute ago, it was an immoral infection that the church of Corinth had gotten. It was something that had spread into the church that made something rise up that was never intended to be there. A little sin... When it infects the body, it will magnify and it will grow if it's not taken care of. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard of gangrene, but gangrene is something that people get, an infection that people will get, diabetics will often get in their toes. And what happens is the only way that you're going to kind of like stop the infection is you have to cut off the toe. Now that sounds like a harsh treatment, but that's just the truth of how you stop the infection. If you don't cut it off, it's only going to spread. It's going to go from your toes to your foot, from your you know, foot to your ankle to your leg, and it's going to go up to the knees. And it's, and it's a sad and it's a horrible you know, infection and disease that people get. But guess what? Sin works the exact same way. When you tolerate a little bit of sin, it permeates your life and it begins to grow. Amen? The Bible says you know, that Jesus taught, he said, it's the little foxes that destroy much harvest. It's the little thing that goes unnoticed. It, it, it could seem like this insignif insignificant, tiny little fox, one little animal that's out there in this huge, vast field. But guess what? If he nibbles long enough, he's going to destroy the field. He's going to destroy something. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, there was an immoral infection that the church had gotten. How many of you know that the body of Christ can get sick? How many of you know that the days and the times we're living in, there's a lot of false teachers, amen? There's a lot of false doctrines. There's a lot of things that have permeated inside the walls of the body of Christ, inside the church. And guess what? There's things that are being said that Jesus had no intention of saying or being about. But why did this happen? It's because when you begin to tolerate something and you begin to allow something, all of a sudden it goes a lot further than you thought it would ever go. You thought in the beginning it was just, ah, oh, you know, we're maybe just going to change a worship song to sound and meet our itching ears and our needs. Or, oh, I'm just going to preach a prosperity gospel that's going to sound good to people so that the, the church pews could be filled. And guess what? That little thing all of a sudden grows into people completely teaching stuff and talking about stuff behind pulpits and, and, and in sermons that has nothing to do with the crucified Savior. Paul said what? I have got an obligation to preach Christ and Christ crucified and nothing else. If I don't tell you that Jesus was, is alive and he gave his life for you and he was risen, and guess what? He's now alive and he sits at the right hand of the Father, then guess what? It ain't the gospel. I need to know and you need to know. And guess what? The hope of glory living inside of us is all about knowing what it is that Jesus has done for us. Amen. 
It's about knowing that simple fact. But guess what? There's this immoral infection that will get into the body of Christ. And the body will get sick from time to time. The body will pick up practices and routines and doctrines that will lead them astray. So leaven, prior to this instance, it was used to symbolize evil in Scripture. Leaven sours, it ferments, it putrefies. It's a picture of corruption which penetrates and permeates the dough. This woman had to hide the leaven and she had to camouflage it or to mix it in with the meal. And so like I said, the Bible and everything that we know about leaven, in this particular time, Jesus now completely shifts something. And he talks about leaven not as something that's evil or something that was bad, but he likens the kingdom of heaven to leaven. Let's read it again. Matthew 13 and 33. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast or leaven that a woman took and she mixed it into a large amount of flour until it worked through all of the dough. How many of you know that when Jesus gets a hold of something, he can completely transform it? Amen. When Jesus gets a hold of your life, when Jesus gets a hold of your family, he's the only one that can transform it. Amen. And when Jesus gets a hold of the body, amen, they'll transform. When Jesus gets a hold of, of the hearts of men and Jesus gets a hold of nations and regions and people, guess what? There's no way that they cannot transform. That's the best thing that Jesus does. Amen. Is he transforms lives. But in Matthew 21, verse 19, we see Jesus transform a fig tree, and he curses this fig tree that wasn't producing fruit. And guess what? It immediately withered. We see in Matthew 9 and 27, Jesus encounters two blind men that were following him, and they were crying out you know, to the son of David to have mercy on them. And what did Jesus do? He asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they responded, yes, Lord, and instantly their eyes were open. You see, Jesus is really good at transforming things, amen? Jesus is not limited to resource. Jesus is not limited to circumstance. Jesus is able to still the raging waters. He's able to speak peace to your soul. He's able to command demons to flee, amen? But in this case, he illustrates the kingdom of heaven to something that they used every single day. Something that they had in their home, something that they lived off of, but not in the manner which they had ever heard previous to this. He used it in a positive way to symbolize the expansion of the kingdom of heaven in the earth. How many of you know that as believers, your faith should permeate your family? Amen. Your walk with God should have an effect on those around you. Amen. How many of you know as the body of Christ, our beliefs and our, our living for Jesus every single day should have an effect on our neighborhood, amen? It should have an effect in our communities, amen? It should have an effect all the way to the top, all the way to the White House, amen? Amen. Amen. Today's flag day. Did you know that? There's a wrong flag that's been hung up in our nation, a flag that, that has nothing to do that is, in fact, the most detestable thing to God. And I say this, church, in the most humble way possible. But if something like that could rise to the top of our nation, it's because the church has been silent. The church hasn't been speaking out, and the church hasn't been standing their ground. 
Because the only way that the kingdom of heaven will permeate our nation, our cities, our families, and the earth is when we share it. When we speak about Jesus. Some of you went to work today and you've gone to work with the same people for the last five years of your life and you've never told them about Jesus. They know you go to church. They know you got the sticker. They know, you know, all that stuff about your life. But guess what? You've never shared Jesus. This is why we see evil. This is why we see all these things permeate our society. The kingdom of heaven's expansion in this illustration was about good growth. There was a, a phrase called seahs. That, that was three measures that were used in this parable, which was approximately 50 pounds. And that was enough to feed 300 people. So they have 50 pounds of yeast that they apply to this dough that was enough to feed 300 people. Basically, it was invisible when it was combined to the flour, and the leaven would become apparent as the dough baked, and it would expand to a great quantity. Now, I want to read this other translation for you. Matthew 13 and 33 in the, in the Passion Translation says, Heaven's kingdom realm can be compared to yeast that a woman takes and blends into three measures of flour, and then waits until all the dough rises. Now, why is this important? Because the word and, and I know and is like a word that you've heard a million times, and we just pass over it. We don't even think that the word and in this passage is significant. But the word and, it implies that something was supplied before it was took. I'll say that again. It meant that something was supplied before it was taken and so if you read the scripture again, heaven's kingdom realm could be compared to yeast that a woman takes and is supplied into three measures of flour and then waits until all the dough rises. Did you know, church, that Jesus is our invisible source? Jesus, his Holy Spirit and his word is our invisible source that we have so that the kingdom of heaven, so that the kingdom of God, so that the church of God can permeate society in our communities with the love of God, with the truth of God, with the word of God. Amen? He is our invisible source, and here Jesus is speaking of himself. He's speaking of himself, and he's using himself as the person that is the yeast. He's saying, if you offer me to this world, then my kingdom will do this. My kingdom will permeate every single area of this nation, every single area of your home and your family, because Jesus is the only source of life and transformation. Amen? Somebody say this. He is our supply. Jesus is all we need. Amen. He's all that we need. But we make it more difficult than it needs to be. Amen? We make it way more tough than it needs to be because here's the deal. Some of you don't need another relationship. You need Jesus. Amen. Amen. You don't need a man in your life. You need Jesus. Amen. You don't need a bitter, bigger bank account. You don't need more money. You need Jesus. Amen. You don't need more medication. You need. Who do we need? We need Jesus. Why? Because he is our supply. That's what the scripture is teaching us here. He is the one that supplies everything in our life. And did you know, church, that the enemy is always trying to rise in the church with religious spirits, with routines, and with politics? And the enemy is always trying to convince us that we need everything else but Jesus and but the resurrection and but life? All the time. 
All the time it's like, oh, pastor, how come the church ain't growing? We must need a new program. No, we need Jesus. Hey, pastor, you know what? You know, I think that, you know, we need, you know, to, to do this and do what the other church down the street's doing. No, 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 no. We don't need to do what the other church down the street's doing. We need Jesus. Amen. We don't need better programs. A program is not going to get anybody into heaven. We don't need better ministries. Guess what? The ministry is not going to get anybody to heaven. It doesn't say that call upon the name of the ministry and you will be saved. It says call upon the name of Jesus and you will be saved. We don't need better facilities. We don't need better social media. We don't need better sermons. Took a shot at myself there. I try hard for you. I really do. But here's the deal, church. I can't take the church in my heart. Think about this. I can't take you to heaven in my heart with me because I love you so much. Pastor, in all of his prayers and all of his labor and all of his service to you, cannot take you in his heart to heaven. But guess what I can do? I can take the heart of the church, the head of the church, the supremacy of the church, which is Jesus, wherever I go to reach a desperate world in need. Everywhere. All the time, any day of the week. You see, these two parables about the tiny mustard seed and the yeast, they both teach of God's kingdom having a small beginning. Amen? A tiny beginning but growing until its influence prevails into all of the earth. You see, what once looked unimpressive, it actually rises to impact and to feed many. Amen? It rises to impact and feed many. Number three, that number always points to the resurrection. Amen? It always points to resurrection life. The resurrection of Christ is what we are empowered with to do the work of that woman, the same way that she added that yeast to the dough. That's what we are empowered with, the Holy Spirit, to do this work in the world. The same way the woman worked the yeast into the dough is the same way that the body of Christ, his church, needs to work Christ and the Holy Spirit and his word back into our families. Some of us have left wide open doors for the enemy to attack our families. That illustration that I shared with you, it sounds so comical, you know, it's some... Brownies that had dog poop in it. <laughs> but why did it start? The, the illustration started with these young people that wanted to just simply go watch a movie. I was talking to a friend the other day, and, and we were reminiscing about an old TV show that used to be on TV that I won't mention the name to. But back in the late 80s and the early 90s when I was a kid, that TV show was really like, you're not supposed to watch that. I, as a kid, as a, as a, as a non-Christian kid, I didn't even grow up in a Christian home, but as a non-Christian kid, we were not allowed to watch that kind of television because they said words and they had innuendos and they suggested certain things. And it was just, it was a show that, you know, kids shouldn't watch. But nowadays, 30 years later, the stuff that's on public television, back in the day, you had to have cable television to see something bad. Nowadays, on public television, there's all kinds of stuff that used to be something that, you know, they would rate and they would filter out and they wouldn't allow to be seen by the public. It's now rampant. And guess what? You sit there for hours on end like this. 
And the next time that you see somebody that's half naked or the next time you hear somebody that's using completely foul and disgusting language, you sit there and you tolerate it for hours on end. And what's happened? The leaven of sin has worked its way into your heart that what once looked like something that was completely detestable and, and undesirable, now you've just gone a little bit deeper. Just like Pastor said, you know, the, how he was talking about, you know, stepping into that mud. You know, there's something that, that, that we have to get back to, church, and that is this, is that we have to cling to Christ so much and hold fast to him so much that there is a no tolerance for sin in our lives and our families. When I say that we've left the door open, it's because sometimes you're paying for that cable television that has no business indoctrinating your children with things that they should never see. Can I, can I preach the truth tonight? Paying endless amounts of dollars to have access to certain things that, that, will, that the enemy can use to just plant seeds in your family and in your life that, guess what, the Lord is not pleased by. Amen? The Lord is not pleased by that. He's not happy with that because guess what? We fund the enemy. We fund certain things that we allow in our home. Our home should be a dwelling place for God. Amen? It should be a dwelling place where the Holy Spirit is welcome. But if you turn on junk, I guarantee the Holy Spirit will not sit there and watch it with you. We wonder why we don't feel God. We wonder why it doesn't sound like God speaks to us. He's still holy. Amen? He's still holy, and he demands holiness and respect and reverence. Stephen Covey said this, I'm personally convinced that one person could be a change or a catalyst, a transformer in any situation or organization. Such an individual is yeast that can leaven an entire lo loaf, but it requires vision, initiative, patience, respect, persistence, courage, and faith to be a transforming leader. Will you be the person in your home that doesn't tolerate the sin? Will you be the person in your family that doesn't tolerate something and says, you know what, that's not going to be shown in my house. That's not going to be done. Those lang that language isn't going to be used. We need to get back to those things, amen? We need to get back to those things. And so I want you to repeat after me. Everyone say, Christ in me leavens the lifeless. Say it one more time. Christ in me leavens the lifeless. Or in other words, Christ in you brings the dead back to life. Amen. That's what it's teaching us. Christ in you brings the dead back to life. That is, the church should seek to leaven individuals. That is, to surround people and offer an individual with the gospel until that person is transformed. Amen. That we share the gospel with that person until we see their life changed. Too often we're too quick and we just pass people by and we just say, do you want to know Jesus? Nope. Okay, bye. We don't love them. We don't reach out to them. We don't, we don't answer that phone call when they call us in their time of need or desperation. You know, we, 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 we shun people away. And the Lord is actually wanting us to stick it out with a person, to walk with them, to teach them, to show them, to, to, to offer the word of God to their life. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says this, Yet to all who received them, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
He, be, he gave them the right to become children of God. The Lord is specifically telling us to intentionally bring the gospel to people. Amen. To be intentional about your life. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27 says, To them God has chosen to make known amongst the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. The mystery is this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This scripture, I don't know if you've, if you've ever studied this scripture before, but he, what he's saying is, here, is this, is he's saying God's chosen you as a Gentile, as a person who was cut off but, but now grafted into the family of God. God has chosen your life to now bear witness, to be a carrier of the Holy Spirit. That is your life now. You possess Christ, right? He says Christ in you is the hope of glory. Now guess what? What good is hope if it's not released? What good is it if I carry something within me that could transform an entire world, an entire family, an entire nation, an entire campus, an entire workplace? What good is it if I carry it within me and do nothing but keep it to myself? Is it hope? I'm good. I'm happy. I'm peaceful, but they're dying. They're desperate. They're still doing the things that, they, that the world has trained them to do. I thank God every day for this church. You want to know why? Because 25 years ago, I met Jesus here. 25 years ago, I've met the mercy of God. I saw God rescue my life. I saw God literally just pull me out of the pit. The Bible says in Psalms 40 that he, he takes us out of the mud and mire and he sets our feet upon a rock. And when the Lord did that for me, you might say, well, Pastor Duke, you're a pastor. You know, no, 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 listen to me. Ever before I ever thought of doing this, the Lord spoke clearly to my heart. He reminds me every day of his mercy. And that mercy means that I will share what he has done for my life. I have an obligation to the one who died for me to daily die to myself and speak up and tell others about his goodness. Amen. Tell others about his truth. Tell others about the hope that I have inside of my life. Ezekiel 34 and verse 16, he says this. The prophet is speaking here. He said, I will search for the lost and I will bring back in the strays. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. He says, but the sleek and the strong, he said, I will destroy. He said, I will shepherd the flock with justice. You see, if we aren't living a gospel that searches for the lost or helps the wanderer or shelters the homeless or brings comfort to the hurting, then what are we doing with our resurrection power? Amen. What are we doing with it if, if, if it's not being, you know, if it's not supplying somebody with Jesus? What are we doing with it? We're just containing it within us. If we aren't actively telling others about the hope of glory living inside of us, then actually we are grieving the Holy Spirit. I know this is like not the most feel-good message you've ever heard me preach. But the scripture says this. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. Amen? It's the power of the resurrected one. If I do nothing with what's been given to me, then this plan that God has for this world to bring him back to redemption and restoration, I'm actively stepping out. And I'm actively denying God what he's done for me. And his word teaches us very clearly. He said, if you deny me before men, I will what? I'll deny you before the Father. That's a challenging truth, but it is the truth. Amen? We can't erase that page. We can't tear it out. We can't edit it. It's what his word says. And religion keeps the gospel for the reached, but the resurrected take the gospel to the unreachable. Amen? Religion keeps the gospel for itself, but the resurrected take the gospel to the unreachable. Jesus said this, beware of what? The yeast of the Pharisees. Beware of those that would plant it in your mind to think that it's okay to just sit here and do nothing with what he's given you. To fall asleep while I'm preaching. Those inside the church who refuse to walk in the resurrection lifestyle are mentioned in Ezekiel. I'll go on. Ezekiel 34 and verse 17. As for you, my flock, he said, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another and between the rams and the goats. He said, it is, uh, is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? He said, must you also trample on the pasture, uh, 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 trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? It is not enough for you to drink clear water? He said, must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? He said, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. He said, but I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. He said, I will judge between one sheep and another, and I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend to them, and he will tend to them and be their shepherd. He said, I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be the prince amongst them. I, the Lord, have spoken. You see, when Christ rose again on the third day, the Bible says that the temple veil was split in two. Amen? There was a breaking, and there was a cutting off, and there was a separation and a severance In that veil, and I believe that part of the reason that that was done was not only to fulfill scripture, but I believe it symbolized tearing down the structure so that uh, the structure of religion so that the spirit could begin to do work. Amen. There was something that God was releasing in that moment so that the Holy Spirit can move outside of the veil of the curtain and outside of the walls of the church. Because inside the walls were man-made religion and man-made rituals and traditions and routines and practices that the Lord himself didn't agree with. This is what was happening in these days. And when he rose again, he broke that religious curse that was over the church as they knew it. Did you know, church, that we cannot turn away the sick? I'll say it again. We shouldn't turn away the sick. We shouldn't despise the weak. We shouldn't turn away the hurting and call ourselves the body. I'll share this. On our way to church, 
today, we pass by, you know, the expressway every week. And there's a man out there, and he sells water. Ever, ever seen anybody like that? You know, sometimes there's guys on the corner and passing out bottles of water. Well, there's a man there, and, and you know, he's going car to car, and, you know, he's trying to hurry up before the light, you know, turns green. And we've seen him out there, and, and you know, my wife and I's hearts were moved. It's like, we need to bless him. He's out there in 100 and whatever degree weather. Yeah, like sweating and suffering and, you know, and he's selling water for a dollar. And we gave him a blessing and we just told him, God bless you. And that was for him, you know, so that he could sell more water. He didn't even want the water so that he could sell them to somebody else. You see, the heart of God and the Holy Spirit should move your heart to do things for people. Love is something that's active. It's something that does. The love of Christ led Jesus to a cross so that he died for you. Amen? And the love that we've received from Christ should make us operate in a way that we live actively doing and loving and serving others. Amen? It's not something that we should just do and we should just ignore and do nothing when the Holy Spirit is asking us to do something. Amen? This is really important for us to do. We should never turn away the sick or the despise the weak. We can't run from those in need of healing and deliverance, and we certainly can't tear pages out of what Jesus has commanded us to do because guess what? He would have never done that. There's this quote that I read that says, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and they walk out the door and they deny him by their lifestyle. Think about that just for a minute. They deny him by their lifestyle. Brennan Manning said this, that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. That those who profess Jesus wouldn't actually do what he says. I see arguments every day on the internet. I see people at ends with each other. And guess what? Most often than not, it's Christians standing in the front line. Can I remind you that Jesus said to what? To bless those who curse you. If they raise their hand to slap you, turn to them the other cheek. I mean, I think we forget this sometimes. We think we're being good spiritual soldiers of Jesus, but actually we're denying him by our actions. There's a lot of stuff that Jesus said that's really important that we should never overlook. It's the responsibility of the found to show the orphaned world where the father is. Amen? It's the responsibility and it's the calling of the chosen to love this world with an unconditional love that chose us before we chose him. Did you know that? Yeah, that's really important. We like to talk about Paul. We like to bring Paul into discussions and say, oh, yeah, man, Paul was setting the churches straight. Yeah, the church, not unbelievers. There's a huge difference. Paul preached truth to the church because the church had gotten it all twisted and backwards. But Jesus, when you see his life and you see where he went and you see what he did, what did he do? Did he run away from somebody that was in sin? No. Did he run away from somebody that was dying of disease? No. What did he do? He was compassionate. He would even ask, what would you have me do for you? 
If I asked every person in this room this question, what has Jesus done for you? We would be here all night. Because you'd begin to recount every single time he was merciful to you when you were living in sin. Every time he showed you grace when you were being stubborn in your ways. Every time that he rescued you and got you out of situations that you willingly walked yourself into. You would see over and over again testimonies of the mercy and the grace of God. When you willfully and continue to sin despite knowing what his word says. And despite knowing what the truth says. Guess what? He would still run back to you and he would clothe you. And receive you like the perfect father that he is. We would go on and on and on about the grace of God. And that same grace that has been imparted and you've received in your life should be the very same grace in which we show this world. One of my most favorite scriptures in is, oh man, hold on, I almost drew blank there. It says, the world will know that you are my disciples when you... Love one another. Doesn't say when you preach the loud sermons. Doesn't say when you go knocking door to door demanding that people repent. Doesn't say that. They will discover something about your life when you love them the way that Jesus loves you. There's a lot of lines right now. There's a lot of division. There's lots of things like that. But it's the yeast job to leaven the whole loaf church we have an obligation and a responsibility say it with me one more time Christ in me leavens the lifeless that was really lifeless by the way we'll say it at one more time Christ in me leavens the lifeless there you go you're full of life again all right Hebrews 13 may the God of peace through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. It says that great shepherd of the sheep equip you with everything for doing his good will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Christ to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He is our supply. We need nothing else to do this work but Jesus. Amen. The church needs to leaven society once again and to penetrate society with the gospel until society is transformed. Matthew 28 and verse 18. Jesus came to them and said this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Amen. Who possesses all the authority? Jesus. Say it, say it like you mean it. Who possesses all authority? Jesus, he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything, not partial, everything I have commanded you. And he says, and surely I'm with you always until the very end of the age. If the leaven in the, is the gospel in Matthew 28, then the picture is that of the gospel being placed into an unfinished and an imperfect world. The gospel, that is the leaven, has to be placed right in the midst of the world. And the church, that unfinished and imperfect work, it has to go out to be able to finish the work. You cannot accomplish the work if you are at war with the world. I'll say that one more time. You cannot accomplish the work if you are at war with the world. 2 Timothy 2 and 24 says this. This is a good one. Everybody jot this down. Take this note. 2 Timothy 2.24, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. 
You know what quarrel means? It's not like squirrel. <laughs> quarrel means fight, argue, go back and forth, backbite. The Lord's servant must not fight. Instead, they must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Now, this was given to a young preacher named Timothy. But it says, those who oppose him and that person must be able to gently instruct. More times than not, when we're trying to win the world and we're trying to make a point and we're trying to make a stand for Jesus and the gospel, more times than not, you lose your cool and guess what? You lose the battle. I've had awesome conversations on the internet with people that are completely, you know, like, you know, they're, they're pushing, you know, homosexual agendas and this and that. And guess what? I insert truth in the most surgical, awesome way. And guess what? Next thing you know, they're like, man, I never thought about it that way. And all of a sudden, people are receiving something from your life. But if you go and you just chop their head off and then you're like, now listen to me. Nobody's going to listen because you chop their head off. They don't have ears. But what does it say? Those who oppose them, they must be able to gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. You see, that's the goal is that they will ultimately repent and surrender their life to Jesus. And it says, and that they will come to their senses. How many of you know we have a lot of senseless people in the world right now? We have a lot of crazy people that are delusional and they're, they're lost in their thinking. But it says they will come to their sentence, senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. You will never win somebody for Jesus if you first go at them swinging a bat. Jesus never did that. He never did that. He never attacked people with the gospel. He never did that. He spoke truth in love. And guess what? Love in truth. And they were never separate. It was love that moved him in compassion that he would go out of his way to somebody. That, that, they, that they could know the love of the Father and that they could know God. But guess what? It was the truth that would set them free. And they were never separate in his life. But some of us just want to love everybody and hug them and think that they're going to get into the kingdom through our hugs. And that doesn't work that way. They've got to repent at some point. And other, others of us think that, oh, man, we got to preach the truth. And guess what? I'll preach the truth to them. Homosexuals are going to hell. But here's the deal. You're losing the battle. Because you're not gently instructing. You're not giving opportunity for repentance. You're not giving an opportunity for them to come to the knowledge of the truth and to come back to their senses. We're missing the mark sometimes. There's a lot of empty chairs in here tonight. And guess what? If we knew how to do this work, the Bible says he who wins souls is wise. If we knew how to do this the right way, there'd be a lot more people sitting next to you. I'm saying this, church, because God is looking for a remnant of people to understand this and get it. We are living in the last days, church. We are living in the last days, and we've got to get this thing right now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not, not years from now, because guess what? Jesus could come right now. I believe that we are so far gone in our nation that guess what? Jesus could come at any moment. But you know what? He's merciful. He's so merciful. We don't realize how merciful he is. 
2 Peter 3, 9, a, a favorite verse of mine says, The Lord is not slow, as some understand slowness. I believe that's the verse. Can you pull it up, Jerry? 2 Peter 3, 9. I, I don't want to quote this wrong. 2 Peter 3, 9. Let's put it up there. Hopefully I'm not way off. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is what? He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the love that the Father has for this world. That's the love that he has for his children who are still far off. That's the heart of the Father. Jesus isn't looking for scholars to save the world. He's looking for witnesses. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a person that's sat in church your whole life. I'll never forget, one of the first people that I led to the Lord was, was this girl in my, in my chemistry class. I was a junior in high school or a sophomore, and, and, I, and I think I was a junior in high school, and, and I'm sitting in the middle of chemistry class. And this girl, like, I don't remember what the deal was. I, I think she had a bad day or something. And she was just, you know, like, and I just began to minister the word of God to her. I began to tell her about this father that I knew. I began to tell her about his rescuing power. I began to tell her about this relationship that I now had because Jesus was merciful and he loved me so much that he died for my sins. We're sitting in the middle of, of chemistry class and, 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 and you know, and, and the next thing I know is, is I, I give her this opportunity and I simply asked her, I said, listen, do you want to receive Jesus in your heart? Like, do you believe that, that, that everything that I've told you is true? And she's like, yes. And do you believe that, you know, Jesus can rescue you right now, that he can save you from your sins? She's like, Yes. I said, let's pray. Scripture's real clear in Romans 10, 9. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he died and he rose again, that you'll be saved. It's real simple. When I share that truth with her, she breaks down crying in the middle of my chemistry class. I didn't even know what to do. I was a little like, oh, no. You know, she's crying. She's making a scene in class. And I felt a little awkward. I didn't know how to handle it, to be honest. And I remember some people started asking, like, well, what's the matter? What would you say to her? You know, what would you do? And I was like, no, I didn't do nothing. You know, she just received Jesus in her heart. She's weeping. It's the Holy Spirit. And, and it was such an easy thing to do, to be honest. Do you know that once you step off the ledge, falling is really easy? That's what faith is like. Once you step off the ledge, you say, I trust you for your word, Lord. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. It gets really easy from there on out. The hardest part is convincing yourself to jump. The hardest part is convincing yourself to take the step. We make excuses. We believe the lies. We bow to our fears. We bow to our insecurities. We, we, we you know, get all uptight in ourselves and we say, oh, you know, maybe they're gonna, they're gonna say that I'm crazy. They're gonna say that I'm weird. You know, they're, I don't know, you know, I don't wanna start, you know, like a fight, you know, whatever. And, and guess what? It's a soul, church. There's a soul on the line. There's a soul on the line. There's somebody that's, that's desperate and hungry. And guess what? They don't even know that Jesus is, is the source and the answer to all of their, uh, all of their life 
They don't realize that he's the source of life. They don't know that. But when they encounter Jesus and you simply come forward and you take that step and you offer Christ to them, you offer them the living water, you offer them the one who is able to transform their soul. The beauty is this, is you don't have to do the transforming. You don't have to, that's not your work, amen? That's not our work. We, I do, I've resurrected nobody. I've transformed nobody. I've saved nobody. I've just simply been obedient to what he's asked me to do. And the Lord is looking for people that would be obedient once again. Say, Jesus, I won't let my pride get in the way. I won't let my position or my title in ministry or church get in the way. But Father, I will humbly serve those that you put in my path. In Mark 5, Jesus had healed a man who was demon-possessed. And in fact, the, demon, the man that had this demon possession inside of him by the name of Legion, for they were many, after his deliverance from those demons, he, the demons asked to be sent into a herd of pigs. And Jesus granted their request. And the herd of pigs, they ran themselves off a cliff to their death. But the crazy part is after this in Mark, 15 and Mark 5 and verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to this demon-possessed man, and they told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. What's so fascinating about this story is that people are more apt to be bound by their demons and live in their sin and live under the power of the enemy that it's not normal for them to see somebody set free. That goes completely counter to the direction that the world is heading in. It goes completely counter to what culture is teaching us. Jesus said, wide is the path to destruction. Broad is the path to destruction, but narrow is the path to life, and only a few find it. And what, what is amazing to me is this, they pled with Jesus to leave their region, and it says, and as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus did not let him, him, and he said this, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on your life. You see, I don't know about you. I don't know if you were once demon-possessed or I don't know how far it is that the Lord has brought your life. But I believe Jesus would speak to every single one of us after we've been rescued by him and say this, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Amen? Tell somebody about him because there's no greater witness than the one who has been changed by the Lord. There's no greater testimony in this world than one who is completely different in their life and in their countenance. John 15 and 26 says, So when the counselor comes, who I'll send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He said, And you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. You see, those who are saved will be sent to speak about the Son. And I say this tonight, watch and see, church, what the leaven of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God can do in a lost world. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.